And now, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, our sermon text. The Holy Spirit testified to Paul in every city that imprisonment and afflictions were waiting for him. And so what, were, what was the purpose of Paul's afflictions? And why did Paul think the resurrection of Jesus could help him? That's what we'll find when we read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. This Resurrection Sunday morning, um, remembering Jesus, remembering that he is alive. He is the king who conquered death, hell, and the grave. And we ask that you would help us to understand how it is that that truth, that Jesus is alive, uh, enabled Paul to endure the things that you had called him to endure the afflictions that he met everywhere he went. Um, would you help us uh, to have um, Paul's mindset, Paul's faith, Paul's reliance upon you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Dr. Nelson helped me out with this little beaker and I, I want to ask you to pretend for just a moment that this beaker represents your life or my life. It's uh, it's okay. It's clear. It's calm. It's all good, right? But what happens when the beaker starts to get shaken a little bit? Maybe not even just a little bit. Maybe a lot. Shaking, shaking. Pretty good at that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a pro, actually, at the shaking <laughs> part. I was born for this. Um, yeah. And can you see, can you see that green stuff that's starting to come up? It's getting cloudy in there. Hmm. Now that green stuff was in the bottom the whole time, but we really didn't start to see it that much until we started to shake it. And that's kind of what Paul is going to talk to us about in 2 Corinthians 1 this morning. He's, he's going to tell us that when our lives get shaken up, uh, there's something in there that was there all along but was maybe not as obvious. But when our lives get shaken up, it becomes more obvious to us that, that there's something 
lurking there in the bottom of our hearts. Now, Paul is not talking about or saying that there's green stuff in the bottom of your heart. So kids, don't worry. Um, But in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul is confessing to the Corinthians that the shaking and stirring of his life has revealed something at the bottom of his heart that's actually more sinister and dangerous than the green stuff in that beaker. And Paul might call it self-reliance. This is, this is how he said it. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Affliction, that's it's trouble, it's distress, it's difficulty, it's oppression, it's, it's all kinds of suffering. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves. There's that self-reliance, but on God who raises the dead. So the stuff at the bottom of Paul's heart, the bottom of my heart, is self-reliance. And so one of the purposes of Paul's suffering, of my suffering, of your suffering, is to expose how much we still rely on ourselves. Now, we're not exactly sure which afflictions Paul was referring to in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, but but in chapter 11, a little later, Paul mentioned a whole list of them. Listen, he, he mentioned his many imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death, he said. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods, he said. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys I was in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, he says, through many a sleepless, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And then he adds this. He says, apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So, These were the kind of troubles that had Paul utterly burdened beyond his strength, like a donkey that's so weighed down by the load it's carrying that its legs buckle underneath it. His afflictions had him despairing of life itself, like there was no way to escape dying. In fact, he said he felt like he had received a sentence of death. He felt like he was on death row just waiting for his turn to go to the chair. Paul confessed that these troubles were shaking his life and revealing that he needed to make a change. He needed to turn from relying on himself and rely instead on the God who raises the dead. And as I I read this, I thought, well, what God is doing with us these days. Um, Whether it's the things that have been going on recently for all of us, for the whole world, or for the things that have been going on, the suffering and the afflictions going on in your own life, even before that. 
there's a professor of philosophy at Yale named Nicholas Walterstorff. Walterstorff, I got to get that right. And um, at one point, he lost his son in a climbing accident. And this is what Dr. Walterstorff said after all of that happened. He said, when we have overcome absence with phone calls, winglessness with airplanes, summer heat with air conditioning, when we have overcome all these and much more besides, then there will abide two things which, with which we must cope. The evil in our hearts and death. Folks, if there's one thing this virus has shown us, it's this. We can rely on ourselves for a lot of things, and we do pretty well. We've uh, cured the distance and absence of people by inventing the telephone. We've cured winglessness by making airplanes. We've even been to the moon. Um, we've overcome summer heat uh, with air conditioning. People can actually live in Texas. But... When we've overcome all these things and so many other things, relying on ourselves, good things that we're able to do, there are still two things that we can't rely on, our, rely on ourselves to take care of. One is the evil of that self-reliance that is in us, and the other is death. And I think that's what Paul is trying to say. The suffering in his life was bringing him face to face with those two things he couldn't rely on himself to fix. One, the sin of his self-reliance, and, and then death. So like Paul, we're all being given the opportunity to turn from relying on ourselves to relying on the God who raises the dead. But, but here, here's the thing that I was thinking about this week. Why didn't Paul just simply talk about relying on God? Why did he specifically refer to God as the God who raises the dead? What was it about the resurrection that convinced Paul that when he was utterly, utterly burdened beyond his strength, he could rely on the God who raised Jesus from the dead? What was it about the resurrection that would help him? And if we can answer that question for Paul, then we can answer it for ourselves, and we can find reasons the resurrection gives us hope in our affliction. And so I asked myself this week, what did Paul know about the implications of the resurrection that enabled him to trust God's heart even when he couldn't trace God's hand? What was it that Paul knew about the resurrection? So I went through and looked, and I, I came up with five, at least five things that Paul knew about the resurrection that would help him trust God's heart even when he couldn't trace God's hand in his affliction. So here they are. First... Paul knew that the God who raised Jesus from the dead loves sinners. The God who raised Jesus from the dead loves sinners. Paul said in Romans 4, it will be counted righteousness to us who believe in him who raised the, from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So the resurrection was God's stamp of approval on what Jesus did on the cross. 
he was raised for our justification. If he had not been raised, then what he did on the cross to make us right with God, to make us righteous, would not have counted. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says it kind of the opposite way. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So if Jesus had not been raised, then we'd still be under the wrath of God and in our sins. But Jesus has been raised. And so our sins are and we're right with God. And if Jesus had not been raised, then we have a bigger problem than feeling like we're under a sentence of death. We'd actually be under the sentence of death that we deserve because of our sins. But as Paul said in Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. This is what the resurrection gives you. If God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to solve your biggest problem, which was that sentence of death under the wrath of God for your sin, and he loved you so much that he met your greatest need, which was to reconcile you to him, if he loved you enough to send Jesus to die and to be raised from the dead so that you could have your biggest problem solved and your greatest need met, then you right now in the middle of your afflictions can believe and trust that he loves you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The God who raised Jesus from the dead loves sinners like you and me. Secondly, the God who raised Jesus from the dead is sovereign over evil. On that awful Friday, everything looked like evil was winning. But the truth is, it was really just the beginning of the coronation of the king. When the cross was raised, the king was crowned. In, second, in Colossians 2.15, Paul said it, said it this way. He said that at the cross, God disarmed the demonic rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Shame. In Ephesians, Paul prayed that we would remember the great might that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Friends, Jesus rose from the dead as the ruler of all and is now seated at the right hand of God ruling over every authority in heaven and earth. He is sovereign over evil, even the evil that has been happening to you in your afflictions. Third, Paul knew that the God who raised Jesus from the dead is stronger than death. So as Paul is uh, utterly burdened beyond his strength, he knows that the God who raised Jesus from the dead is stronger than death. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. And if he conquered that power, then he has all the strength we need for whatever burdens us. He has power to overcome whatever makes us despair of life itself. Again, Paul prayed that the Ephesians would know what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. 
According, what kind of power is it? It's according to the working of his great might that Christ, when he raised him from the dead, we have access to resurrection power. The God who raised Jesus is stronger than death, and that resurrection power is ours. However, it may only look like you're barely hanging on. Um, being strengthened by the power that raised Jesus from the dead may sometimes only look like you're barely hanging on. And here's why I say that, because Paul prayed that the Colossians would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For what? For what? To bust out of there and throw off all your burdens and run around and all your enemies are gone and you're healed and everything's great? Strengthen with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So sometimes that resurrection power that God offers you will only look like, make you look like you're barely hanging on. But that's endurance and that's patience and sometimes with joy. So, the God who raised Jesus from the dead is stronger than death. Fourth, Paul believed and knew that the God who raised Jesus from the dead assures us that our suffering has purpose. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul said, He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Tim Keller said it this way, and I put this in your bulletin. He said, the biblical view of our suffering is resurrection. Not a future that is just a consolation for the life we never had, but a restoration of the life you've always wanted. He says, this means that every horrible thing that ever happened will not only be undone and repaired, but will in some way make the eventual and joy even greater. He says, everything sad is going to come untrue, and it will somehow be greater for having once been lost. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's at least one of the purposes for your suffering that the resurrection guarantees us. And finally, Paul knew that the God who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us. In Romans 8, Paul said, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he, Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And in saying that, Paul was echoing the words of Jesus who on the night before he was crucified looked at his disciples and said, because I live, you also will live. Now they were going to need to know that, but they wouldn't know it till Sunday. Because I live, you also will live. Jesus is the prototype of the new creation that he is making us to be. And therefore, his resurrection is the promise of our resurrection. We will live and reign with Jesus in a new heaven and a new earth in new bodies.
So, five things Paul knew about the resurrection that helped him to hang on. I thought a lot yesterday on Holy Saturday about what the disciples must have experienced on that first Holy Saturday after their master, their Lord, their Messiah, their friend Jesus had been crucified and as his mangled body lay cold in a tomb. What must they have been thinking and feeling? And he had promised them that he would rise on the third day, but how could they even conceive what that meant, much less believe it could happen? If we were to use Paul words, Paul's words, they were utterly burdened beyond their strength. They were despairing of life itself. They felt like they were under a sentence of death, and if those soldiers found them, they would be. But then I thought of this. I thought of the sheer joy and the relief and the confidence and hope and peace that they must have felt less than 24 hours later when they saw Jesus with their own eyes. Jesus risen, alive, glorious, made new. What must that have felt like just less than 24 hours later? If only they could have borrowed some of Sunday's joy and relief and confidence and hope and peace on Saturday. Perhaps they could have endured the waiting and wondering. Maybe they could have held up under that burden that crushed them. Maybe they would not have feared the sense of death that hung over their hearts. And maybe, just maybe, they could have turned from relying on themselves to rely on the God who raises the dead. Friends, they were on that side of the empty tomb, but we're on this side of the empty tomb. We know now what the disciples couldn't even imagine on that Saturday. We know now what the disciples couldn't even imagine on that Saturday, and we know it because they are the ones who left the testimony for us in the scriptures. We have their own eyewitness testimony about all that the resurre <clears throat> resurrection of Jesus means them and so friends if if you are relying on the God who raised Jesus from the dead you don't have to borrow the joy peace and power and hope of resurrection Sunday on your suffering Saturday you don't have to borrow it <laughs> that's because the joy and the peace and the power and the hope of resurrection Sunday belongs to you it belongs to you so on your suffering Saturdays, when you can't trace God's hand in your afflictions, look to Resurrection Sunday and trust his heart. Father, help us to do that. Help us on our suffering Saturdays to look to Resurrection Sunday and know that that joy and peace and power and hope belong to us because the risen Christ belongs to us and we belong to him. Help us to trust that that is true. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.